millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. You know, origin stories are important. If you enjoy the Voice of the Martyrs radio week by week or the free Voice of the Martyrs magazine every month, I know you'll be fascinated to get to know more about the origin story of this ministry. I'm Todd Nettleton, and not long ago, I interviewed Ellen Oblander. Over the course of many years, Ellen got to know Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, the founders of The Voice of the Martyrs. She helped edit many of Richard's books and other writings, including the monthly newsletter. So she knows the stories of his imprisonment in Romania at the hands of communists. She knows about the torture. She knows about the abuse. But she also got a unique inside look at Richard and Sabina as people, as husband and wife, in their home, becoming a close family friend. Ellen's going to share insights we can all learn from Richard and Sabina's lives. Her adventure with the Wormbrands began one Sunday morning when she was helping with the music in her local church congregation in Southern California. I was in church playing the organ one weekend, and uh, one of the doctors, who was actually a Churchill relative, read a story from uh, Tortured for Christ. Tortured for Christ is one of the books that Richard Wormbrand wrote about his imprisonment in Romania. The doctor read a story from the book about Richard boldly sharing the gospel with a communist. And uh, the story was very interesting. But as this doctor walked off the platform, he reached over the organ and handed the book to me and said, here, you might be interested in this. Ellen had no idea that book was going to change her life forever. The funny thing is, I don't know if I would have pursued it, getting the book and uh, reading the story myself or not at this point. But at any rate, God arranged for him to give it to me, and I took it home, and after it lunch with my family. I retired to my room and got out the book and started to read. Well, I read and I read and I read until I finished the book. And at the very end, there was a note in the back, uh, a printed uh, note. If you want to get in touch with Pastor Wormbrand, you may find him at, and he gave the address, Glendale, California. Richard and Sabina Wormbrand had left Romania and settled in California. But they still had a vision for encouraging persecuted believers and helping pastors and Christians behind the Iron Curtain. And I jumped up and said to myself, my goodness, he lives within two miles of me because I live in Glendale. And here's this guy. I left him in Romania, and here he is right next door to me. (laughs) So I wrote a note, of course, to the address. Ellen also found out Richard would be speaking at a nearby church and uh, went to the uh, meeting, which was in Burbank, California, right next to Glendale. 
and it turned out to be a very rainy night, but the place was packed, fortunately. And I met Sabina in the lobby, and she was everything I expected from having read about her in the book. Uh, somehow she just had that sparkle that came through. And uh, I listened to Richard and was immensely uh, impressed. And they invited me, Sabina invited me to their home right after the meeting uh, for some refreshments. Sabina was always entertaining, always inviting people over. She would share uh, a piece of toast if she had it with anybody just to invite them and show them hospitality. So that was my introduction to the Wormbrands. And they were starting the mission in 1967. This was the end of the year, sort of. And uh, Richard started to write a newsletter. Well, I got the first copy, and I realized it needed editing. I was an English teacher, and I did a lot of editing. So I asked him if I could, if he would like me to edit his newsletter. Well, he was greatly happy about that. So I got to work editing his newsletter from then on for a number of years. And uh, eventually he asked me to edit books for him. When he handed you a manuscript, was it handwritten or was it typed or what it were was you working with? It was with? usually handwritten. Sometimes it was typed. It was from all over the world, from uh, different hotels. I have a lot of hotel stationery, and uh, much of it was handwritten. He was always writing, writing, writing. He went to church and uh, he said, if the sermon is good, I take notes on what the teacher said that I was interested in. If it was bad, I wrote what I would have said instead. <laughs> so he was always, always writing, writing, writing. And uh, after a while, he depended more and more on my ability to interpret his writing, I think. Ellen helped to decipher Richard's thoughts and assist with his English. But Richard took care to go back himself and make sure he was encouraging his readers with biblical truth. And always, by the way, when I sent him back a manuscript, he would always edit his own manuscripts and make changes here and there. So it went through two or three editing sometimes. How, how was he as far as the editing process? Because I, I've heard some stories that Richard could be very strong-willed. Did he... Did he push back at, at some of the things that you edited in, in the manuscripts? No, he was very, uh, very appreciative, and uh, he would make changes, but I always expected that. Uh, they were editing his own, really, his own ideas. He was adding to or subtracting from his own ideas. So he never um, questioned my editing as such. And or question my ability or my interpretation. Sometimes, of course, my interpretation could be off just because of the language difficulties. He used to call me, by the way, uh, when he moved away from Glendale to the coast. He would call me and say, I was just reading uh, Nahum 2-7 today, whatever that is, <laughs> and uh, I thought this was very interesting. It says such and such, and he'd give me his take on it. I often wish that I had a recording instrument at that time so I could have recorded a lot of his sayings because he always had a um, a unique interpretation of Scripture. He would find things that I never thought of, and to this day I remember a lot of them, although I couldn't dredge them up right now. Almost like be... having him lead your devotional time if you pick yes, up the was. phone and, and Richard's got a devotional for you. 
Yes, exactly. Wow. In fact, when he was writing his uh, book of devotions... Um, There's one well, that's called Reaching Toward the Heights. Reaching and I, Toward the Heights, that okay. was it. Yeah. I would go down to his house in Glendale. This is when he still lived in Glendale. And he would have uh, all kinds of um, newspapers and magazines, and he would clip things that interested him, and they were waste matter scattered all over the floor, and poor Sabina would be coming in and gathering it up and throwing it out. But uh, he would say, can I read you some uh, things that I've written today for this book? So he would read to me and get my reaction. Well, it was always good, of course. And uh, he would take things from all kinds of uh, sources and comment on them. Richard was writing out of the overflow of his heart he had meditated on the Word of God hour after hour and year after year while in prison, including three years in solitary confinement. You know, he wrote 365, I think it was something like that, uh, devotionals when he was in prison mentally. Uh-huh. And he put them in poetry, two-line poetry. He'd gotten that idea from somebody, and I've forgotten who in history, somebody famous who had been in prison. And when he got out, he wrote it all down. And then as he uh, put it, he enlarged on it because he knew his thoughts. And it was like taking dry soup and adding water to it, enlarging on it, you know, making a a pot of soup out of it. Right. And that's what he did with his writings. So he was writing, 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 writing when he got out, everything he could think of. And he wrote, uh, I think, Torture for Christ in a very few days. Yeah, he talks about writing over a weekend. Good grief. And that was quite a book. But he had a very fertile brain, and he was always thinking and writing and thinking. We think of him as a hero among persecuted Christians, but he was also a hero in the Romanian community, both in America and in Romania. He was also a hero in the Messianic Jewish community. At least for me, I kind of think of him in this box as this hero of persecuted Christians, but he had so many other parts of his life, and he impacted so many other people as well. Yes, he did. That's true. That's true. By the way, somebody once told me, do you know that Richard speaks 15 languages? And so I asked him one day, I said, Richard, is it true that you speak 15 languages? And he shrugged. He shrugged. I don't know how many. (laughs) But he absorbed language. He said to me once that when he read Hebrew, it was as if it were inborn in him. He related to it immediately. He caught on to it, in other words. He absorbed the language. Wow. And he read and spoke it. And, you know, you have to learn a totally different alphabet Uh in order to read Hebrew. But uh, he could read Hebrew, and he would often interpret things. I would ask him, Richard, what does this mean in Hebrew? And he would tell me. And uh, so I learned a lot from him. Not that I remember it all, but I did learn a lot. And it it was a pleasure and a privilege, you know, to be able to talk to somebody like that. Well, and I'm sure the Hebrew really helped him to understand the scriptures more, being able to go back to the original language. I do recall, by the way, being in their living room, and uh, Richard had some Russian guests, and of course they didn't speak English, so he would translate for me. He was very courteous in that way. He would keep me in, in, in the conversation, involved in it. 
And then he got a phone call, and he was speaking French to somebody else. And then later he got another phone call, and he was speaking another language. I mean, he went from one language to another. German, French, Italian, Swedish, wow. whatever, you know. He did have a, a, a real gift for language, and he just absorbed them somehow. I think from from all of I've heard, both him and Sabina were just brilliant. I, I mean, their their mental firepower, they were brilliant. They were, they were, and she spoke better English than he did. Really, I think. I had an easier time understanding her than him. <laughs> so, so I think so too. Did you have trouble understanding him? Because he had a very strong accent. Well, you get used to it after a while. Okay. And pretty soon I'd be. What was it? My sister said to me once, you're always saying a, a certain tense, I think it was, in English. And uh, I think I got it from Richard, from hearing <laughs> him so much. Ellen continued learning from Richard and Sabina. She continued serving behind the scenes. And over time, she had contributed to a large body of work. Richard pointed out how many books they'd collaborated on. He said, do you know you've done a dozen books for me? And I said, oh, it can't be. And so he got out one of the books, and in the beginning it had Richard Wormbrandt has written the following books. And we counted them up, and sure enough, there were a dozen. So I continued to edit books for him, and I don't know what the end result was, how many books I did. But I also did some for a couple of other uh, workers in the mission at that time. While Ellen was working behind the scenes editing, she noticed someone else working behind the scenes to make Richard's ministry possible. Because of the torture he'd undergone in Romania, Richard always had trouble with his feet. He had a hard time walking, yet he maintained a heavy travel schedule, and he spoke in literally hundreds of churches. So Sabina lovingly packed for their trips— and she helped load boxes of books to distribute at Richard's talks. Whenever I went to visit them, Sabina, poor Sabina, was always either packing or unpacking huge suitcases. And here's this little woman carrying all these heavy loads because Richard had been beaten on his feet and he had a hard time walking for one thing or carrying things. So Sabina did a lot of the work and she was a hard worker. Uh-huh. Because when he spoke, she would be in the lobby with books and selling books, and uh, usually a little packet of books for uh, nothing practically. They would give away the books. And the more he wrote, of course, the more she had to give away, and always cooking and always entertaining people. And she would be carrying these heavy, heavy loads. I often think of Sabina when I am doing heavy lifting, and I think, well, Sabina was able to do this. Maybe I can lift this, whatever, (laughs) these groceries. (laughs) Yeah, and as you say, I mean, she was a little tiny woman. Yes, she was. She was. They were quite a couple. They were quite an amazing couple. It's... I often think that there is no Richard without Sabina, and there is no Sabina without Richard, that that God specifically called them together for his purposes. And I think he said that when he first saw her, he said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. I think there are at least two very practical reminders that we can take away from Sabina's life. 
First, when we're called to some mundane task, we can do it with all our hearts. Practical tasks can give God glory, just like the more visible jobs of speaking or writing. And second, I think we can always be asking the Lord, what are you calling my spouse or my children to do, and how can I serve them to help them answer that call? She was always behind the scenes. She was very supportive of him and his work, but she was a wonderful speaker, and I'm sure you have tapes of her speaking. Absolutely, yeah. So having read the book Tortured for Christ and then you met Richard in person, was he what you expected or, or was he different from how you thought he would be? He was what I expected and more so. He was just an overpowering personality and I just felt it a great privilege to know him and uh, to be acquainted with somebody of his caliber. And he was a hard worker. He didn't sleep well. But he was always on the go, always on the go. Ellen became a close sister in Christ to Richard and Sabina. Really, she became a member of their family. She not only helped this couple with editing, but she cared for them as they entered into the final seasons of their lives. Walking was always difficult for him, and he always preached sitting down and with his socks on because shoes were painful for him. So when I stayed with them, they they would always invite me to stay. When they went uh, went to the coast, they lived in the coast of Southern California, and uh, I would go when I could because I had young kids and I had to get help to take care of them. But uh, she would always say, uh, "Go for a walk with Richard," and I think part of it was to get him out of her hair so she could get his <laughs> son in the house, <laughs> and then part of it was. Uh, to keep him happy, he had somebody to walk with, and he would kind of lean on me when he needed to, uh-huh. uh, because walking was very difficult. I could tell that. You know, your feet are very sensitive, especially oh, yeah. on the instep, and if you're beaten on your feet, you can imagine what scars that would leave. And he had scars all over his body. I mean, they were each in that carcer. You remember that? Right an upright box with nails driven into it. I mean, how can you stand things like that? Dear. So yeah. when you would go for a walk with him, how long? Was that like 10, 15 minutes, or was it longer? Oh, maybe a half hour. Okay. We would go to a park, and he would go up to people and talk to them. Uh, I remember once he went up to a man who was sitting on a bench at the park. It was a park nearby. And he said, what are you reading? And uh, the man talked to him, and he witnessed to him. I mean, he would take opportunities to witness to people. He lived in South Glendale. He lived in um, a house with a lot of stairs to get to the front door, and they were uh, concrete stairs. They were not wood, you know. Mm-hmm. And he insisted, once I came by and the kids were in the car and I just came in to deliver something or whatever, and he came down to meet them, to say hello to them. He loved children. Uh, I mean, that took a lot of effort on his part and a lot of pain to walk down that huge flight of stairs just to say hello to my kids. He he would be that way with children. He just loved children because he missed them so much. Of course, he didn't see his own son grow up, you know. Right. After serving the Lord and her husband for many years, 
Sabina Wormbrand was diagnosed with cancer. Through the sickness that would eventually take her life, she continued to look to the Lord as her joy. She had uh, cancer of the stomach, and I understand it's very painful. And she always had a smile on her face, sometimes a pain smile. You know, you could see in her eyes that she was in pain, but she never let you know. She really represented Jesus. And I think his emphasis would always be on, would always be to make Jesus first in your life and love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And by doing that, you can endure suffering and you can endure hardship if, if you keep that, keep Jesus first. Yes, yes. And I think that was his message and his life message. What do you think is Richard's legacy? I mean, you knew him, you knew him and Sabina, you worked with him. What do you think his legacy is? You know, how to endure suffering. We're facing, I think we're in end times. And a lot of Christians do believe that. You know, we used to have a more or less Christian-based culture in the U.S., and we're losing that. So I think we're in for really bad times, and I think Richard's legacy is, first of all, how you can love your enemies. The legacy of how to deal with suffering in a, in a victorious way, in a faithful way, yes, and yes. the legacy of loving your enemies. I, I don't oh, think there's a better example of loving your enemies than Richard. I think so, too. That, that's my feeling. I've never seen one who, who would talk to his torturers and witness to them about Jesus while he was being tortured. I mean... Uh, how can you do that? That, that? that to me is incredible. Yeah, it's, it is unfathomable to most of us. How, how do you think he would want to be remembered? If we had asked him, hey, Richard, you know, after you're gone, how would you like to be remembered? What do you think he would have said? I think he would have said how I love Jesus. I think he would have focused on Jesus and not himself. If you remember Jesus, for my witness, that would be a blessing to me. That's a great attitude. Uh, that's, that, that's one we all should have. Yes, it is. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.